Good morning. Man, good to see you all. Um, again, a special welcome to those of you who are guests with us here this m- morning. Yes, still morning. Um, you know, it, it's honestly something we say, and if you've been here for a while, you know we are always um, quick to say how honored we are to have people stepping in. But we realize it's no small thing for you to step into uh, a place that's in many ways full of strangers and choose to spend some of your morning here with us. And so if you're a guest, thank you so much uh, for being with us. You are joining us in the final week of a series that we've called Psalms. And um, in this series, we've been looking at some of the most popular psalms of the Old Testament. Um, And as we wrap this series this morning, we're actually going to look at the single most popular psalm in all of history, in all of the Bible. This is like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Chances are, whether you're a churchgoer or you're not, whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or you're not, you've heard this psalm read, you've heard this psalm quoted. Um, It's memorized and quoted more than any other psalm anywhere. And oftentimes it's, it's read or, or it's quoted um, at the bedside of somebody who is sick, or it may be read at the graveside of someone who is recently passed. Well-loved, very, very well-known psalm. And um, I think it's often so favored because it's a defense and and stubborn psalm that declares that no season is a good reason not to live life fully. This is a psalm that speaks into any situation of life and reminds us, bedside or graveside, there is still hope. There is still the possibility of more, the possibility of thriving. And I think that's one of the reasons it tends to be embraced. For those of you who didn't grow up um, in the church, uh, let me give you a quick insider trading tip um, to catch you up. Uh, One of the running jokes for those of us who grew up as kids in the church was whenever in doubt, God or Jesus. In other words, whatever question is asked in the context of Sunday school as a kid, if you answer God or you answer Jesus, you are 95% likely to be correct. And that theory, in large part, tended to work. And there's a sense in which this psalm we're going to look at, which, spoiler alert, is Psalm 23 for anyone um, who didn't guess that. There's a sense in which what David, the author of the psalm, is doing is the same thing that we would often do as kids in those Sunday school contexts. He is saying, God, hey, go with God and you will be okay 100% of the time. Whatever question life happens to ask you, God, whatever season you happen to be going through or is thrown at you, God, and you'll be fine. Whatever changes, whatever challenges emerge in your life, go with God and you will be fine a hundred percent of the time. That's what this psalm is. With God, there is never any season that is good enough reason not to live and not to thrive. So Psalm 23 is David telling us in God that that he, 
lives an unshakable life regardless of what's happening in the world around him. If you knew David, he would be one of those guys who just had this annoying smile and smirk regardless of what was going on. Very confusing, very disorienting at times. And that's what Psalm 23 is. He's inviting us into a place of being able to live with an unshakable confidence regardless of the season. So let's read the psalm and then we're going to um, catch up with what it is that David believes that leads him to live with that kind of confidence. Psalm 23. By the way, if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, um, Josh and Tyler will be coming up the aisles. You can just slip your arm up, let them know you need one. They'll get one to you. If you don't own a copy, please keep it. Um, Our gift to you, it is yours too. To own, um, and if you don't need a Bible and you just want to make them feel good, like their their service is is warranted, you can slip your arm up just for their benefit as well. But um, Psalm 23, uh, I'm going to start reading. The verses will be up on the screens as well. It says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures." He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness... Your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What David is is doing in Psalm 23 is explaining to us how it is that he can live with a defiant, unshakable confidence regardless of the season in which he happens to be. And goodness sakes, the world needs more of that kind of life. And it comes down to David for the truth. It comes down to the truth he believes about God. And those of you who've been with us for this series, we've seen that over and over again. The Psalms are just these declarations of truths about God and the way that affects our lives. And for David, it comes down to what he believes about God. And to help explain uh, this all, he, he uses a picture of an ancient Near Eastern shepherd. Uh, now, if you know David's biography, then you know he wasn't just always the greatest king in the history of kings. David grew up as a shepherd. And so it's all the more meaningful that he uses this imagery to speak of God and what he believes about God that stirs in him an unshakable, unswerving confidence. Look at verse 1. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Now, it's worth us getting a sense of the rich meaning of this picture because the reality is there's probably no kid in the Warsaw Elementary School system who's saying, 
I want to be a shepherd when I grow up. And so something in our culture, obviously, um, is not as acquainted with the concept of a shepherd. But in that day and age, a shepherd was typically um, a guy whose life revolved around caring for um, a flock of sheep. Um, This shepherd... Um, would not only know how many sheep he had, that was kind of like, duh, of course he knew how many sheep he had, but, but, but he would know the names of each of the sheep. And if not, he would name each of the sheep. And beyond knowing the names of each of the sheep, he would know every nuance and every unique idiosyncrasy about each sheep. He would know its bold spots and its bow legs. I mean, he would, he would know its birthmarks and its boo-boos. He would memorize everything about this sheep so he could distinguish one from another. And he knew the names, he knew the numbers. If anything happened to any of them, he would be aware of He was all in with these little creatures. This wasn't some after-school gig to help pay for the cell phone bill. This was his life. He was all in to the point where it almost became impossible to decipher where his life stopped and the life of these little smelly creatures began. They were so intertwined because a good shepherd understood that if these little suckers thrive then I thrive. If they survive, then I survive. Because if these little creatures uh, don't develop an appealing coat on them, and if they don't chunk up and beef up a little bit, okay, lamb up, whatever, a little bit, then no one is going to pay for their wool. No one is going to pay for their chops. I don't get a paycheck at the end of the day. So you better believe my well-being is attached to their well-being. I have a vested interest in these sheep thriving because theirs is connected and intertwined with my life. And so a good shepherd was committed to the thriving of his sheep. It was a personal interest to him. And what David is saying is God is the ultimate good shepherd to his people. Such a powerful picture. Not only does he know their names, not only does he know how many they are, but he knows every unique idiosyncrasy and idiocy of every single one of them, every wound, every scar, every boo-boo. If anything happens to them, he knows them. And in fact, God is such a good shepherd to his people, to his flock, that it becomes virtually impossible to decipher where his life stops and their life begins. In fact, God treats his sheep like his well-being depends on their well-being, even though it doesn't. He is a good Shepherd And David says that picture of God stirs in me an unswerving confidence. And I'm telling you right now, if you can even for 24 hours begin to believe that God is your shepherd, it will stir in you an unexplainable confidence in the way that you 
live. And what David does in the rest of this chapter is he unpacks this idea and he gives reasons why the the picture of shepherd instills so much confidence in him. And he makes three declarations. Three declarations that I hope we can make with all sincerity as well. They're very simple, um, as the Psalms tend to be, very Sunday school-esque as the Psalms tend to be. But there are three declarations that David believes that the Psalm invites us to believe and declare along with him. Uh, Declaration number one about God as a shepherd is the idea that God is my provider. God is my provider. Uh, The first confidence-instilling characteristic of God as shepherd to David is that God is unswervingly committed to providing everything we need. David believed this. Look at verse 1 again. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Can you even begin to imagine what it would be like if we really began to believe that? I lack nothing. David is saying God considers it his responsibility as a shepherd to make sure that he, the sheep, has everything he needs to thrive. And that's true about us. If, if you're a part of his, his flock, he has such a vested interest in our chunking up and our thriving um, that it is impossible to decipher where his well-being ends and ours begins. And what David would say about God as a shepherd is God is as likely to stop caring for himself as he is to stop providing what you Need. That, that will mess with the way that you live. And he makes this bold declaration, a declaration God helped me to be able to make. He says, I lack nothing. Because I believe God is shepherd, God is my provider, I lack nothing. If I need it, God makes sure I get it without fail. There's nothing I need to thrive and to live fully that I do not have. Nothing. That's huge. And to fill out this idea, uh, David uses a number of shepherd pictures again in the next verse and a half. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, he, God, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. What? He leads me beside quiet waters. Verse 3, he refreshes my soul. Now, listen. Uh, For us reading this as human beings, this is just Old Testament ancient poetry. But try reading this as a sheep. This is Disney World. This is a proverbial jackpot. This is unbelievable paradise that David is painting. He said green pastures and quiet waters. What more could a sheep possibly need? You could interview a thousand sheep and 999 of them 
would admit to regularly dreaming about green pastures and still waters. This is a thing for sheep. They love this kind of stuff. Um, the area in which David is living and, and referencing is a really arid, um, it's a really parched area. It's very dry and brittle, very mountainous, which means the thing you are very unlikely to find lying around is these patches of green grass, let alone to find <laughs> some, some stream of crystal clear water. That just never happened. And if you, by the way, found some water in that area, it, it would be anything but quiet. Every animal would have come out of the woodworks and every single human being in the area would have converged upon that place to try and siphon off every last drop of water. Green pastures and quiet waters. But David is saying God is a kind of shepherd who makes sure that even in the places of rarest resources, he has the best of everything we need provided. It's a powerful picture. Um, and the idea that he lacks nothing, God has provided everything um, can be understood from the phrases he uses. When he says green pastures, that would have been a picture of physical needs in poetry. And when he speaks about water, that would have been a picture of spiritual or non-physical needs. So these two ideas combined, it is David's way of saying God will take care of every physical thing I need to thrive and every spiritual thing I need to become everything that he calls me to be. But David's statement goes even further than that. Because again, if you check out the tenses, this is profound. David is not just saying God will supply all my needs. David is saying God already has. I lack nothing right now. Woo! Spiritually, I have everything I need. Second Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything we need to thrive in life and to thrive in godliness. I have everything I need physically, for my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in the person of Christ Jesus. There is nothing I do not have to be the best me presently. God is my provider. He says, I lack nothing, therefore I can be content. That's why David is always smiling and doesn't seem particularly thrown off. And can you just think for a moment how many hours of sleep you would reclaim in a given week if you believed that God considered it his responsibility to make sure that you had everything that you needed. If you believe God is more vested in your well-being than you ever will be, 
Can you even imagine how many gray hairs might re-darken minus die if you believed for a moment that God is committed to seeing you thrive and therefore has given you everything you need right now in order to do that. Now, because of the culture of our world and the culture of our hearts, I would feel irresponsible if I didn't give a quick anti-disappointment vocabulary lesson. Um, What David is unswervingly confident in is a truth that God never lets a single need go unmet. Now listen, God may meet your wants because he's really awesome like that, but he will provide your needs. In fact, he has provided your needs. So here's something for us to embrace. There's a lot of things that that we could see and take away from the idea of God being our present provider. But, But here's something to think about. Maybe if you don't have it, it means You don't need it. If you lack it, God says, no, no, no. David affirms what God says. I lack nothing. So if you lack it, it's most likely that you don't need it. At least not right now. It might be on its way. It might show up eventually. But right now, you don't need it in order to be everything God calls you to be, to thrive. This is a freeing truth. You can stop stressing out about the thing that you don't have. If he hasn't commanded you to go get it and he hasn't provided it, you don't need it right now. I can't even imagine how that would shift my life and shift the way the church lives its life. Sometimes becoming settled and confident and content starts with taking a divine inventory. Because oftentimes a a look at what you don't have is a lesson in what you don't need. Maybe. Maybe that punk broke up with you because you don't need him. Maybe it's not that you lack a boyfriend. Maybe it's that you don't need one. Maybe the promotion that's been so elusive hasn't come because you don't need it to be everything he's calling you to be. Maybe that loan for that cockamamie business idea hasn't come through because you don't need it. And you can spend so much of the energies of your life reaching and running. And David would say, I lack nothing. If I don't have it, I probably don't need it. Maybe singleness isn't a curse. It's just something you don't need right now in order to be devoted to him in body and spirit as 1 Corinthians 7 would say, I could spend my life in disappointment because I don't have that zebra stripe on my wool. And God's like, you're a sheep. You don't need it. 
No, but, but I saw this, like a big beard and a cloth. That's a lion. You don't need that to be everything I've created and called you to be. And then I doubt the goodness of the shepherd because he won't give me lion's claws. Either God is lying to you or consider the possibility that your wants are masquerading as needs and lying to you about God. Because he will give you everything you need. When I believe God is my provider, I can be confident and content knowing nothing I need is not provided. I lack nothing. My life isn't somehow less because I don't have that thing, whatever it might be. And we'll see, I trust, that God may define need different than the way Webster defines needs. Oh, well, three square meals a day. There's some people who don't have it. It is possible that God says, for you to be everything I've called you to be, you may not need that right now. And that's a tough truth for us to embrace. But what David would say is, when I'm running from Saul and when I'm in the palace, I had everything I needed. I lacked. Nothing. The second thing David declares, that God is my projector. Um, now, those of you who grew up in the 80s, 90s, um, you know, that <laughs> brings up a very, very funky picture in, in, in your mind, maybe slides and, and things of that um, sort, which is not a bad picture uh, for what David communicates in this passage. God considers it his responsibility to light the path and lead his people to where he wants them to go, which is what a projector does. It it lights, it illuminates something, and it illuminates something forward. And David believes this about God. Look at verse 2 again. He says, he, God, he he makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul, verse 3. He guides me. He illuminates the right paths for his name's sake. Uh, In order for a shepherd to help his sheep, become what they needed to be, one of his responsibilities was um, to lead them. And as we saw, because green pastures and water were such a rare and elusive thing, oftentimes he would have to become an expert in reading the contours and the topography of that region so that he's able to predict and project the most likely spot to be able to find the next pasture and the next body of water to find a hidden paradise of nourishment for his sheep. And once he knew or once he projected where that spot was, his became the tall task of leading his sheep from wherever they were to where they needed to go next. And sometimes that trip would take days upon days upon boring day upon difficult day to get to where they needed to go. But that was part of the shepherd's responsibility was to lead them to the place where they would 
thrive. And he understood that. It was his responsibility to predict and to project where he needed to get the sheep. And David is saying, God. That's totally God. He is my projector. He has already scouted every elusive resource, every topography, every landscape. And God has already predicted and projected. He knows where every nourishment I need is lying in hiding. God already knows where everything I need to get to be what he's calling me to be. Is He already knows that and now his commitment is to get me from wherever I am to wherever I need to go. And he's really good at it. And sometimes it might take years and sometimes it might take days and sometimes it might be uncomfortable. And sometimes I might not like the particular contours of that region. But his commitment is firm. I will get you to where you need to go in order to thrive. I will project and lead you in the way. And so whether you know it or not, whether you see it or not, and frankly, whether you follow it or not, God is the shepherd, according to David, who considers it his responsibility to light the path and lead us to where we need to go. God is my projector. Therefore, I can be confident. I never have to wonder You know, at this time of year, by the way, school is wrapping, and particularly for college students and and seniors and parents of both of those uh, demographics, it stirs a lot of questions and wondering about what's next and where to. And, oh my goodness, I have to figure it out. And it starts to cause deep anxiety in us. But the one thing we know for sure is I never have to worry or wonder if God has a plan and a path for me if I'm one of his followers. He always does. And he's always leading me towards abundance, towards places where I thrive and become everything that he's called and created me. To be. I never have to live with anxiety about my future. If God is my shepherd who projects, then my future is handled. In fact, God considers his future so intertwined with mine that heaven has a difficult time seeing where one ends and the other begins. So deep is his commitment to get us to where we need to go. I never have to become unhinged, by the way, that I missed a turn somewhere in middle school, and now the whole thing has been thrown off kilter, and this is why I've ended up in this. No, he has every resource and ability to get you from wherever you've ended up to where you need to go next. He is recalculating route. He is the good shepherd who knows how to get you there and is committed to doing so. And and I love the phrase at the end of verse 3 where it says that God does this for his name's sake. This is so good. Uh, That just deepens my confidence. Wait a minute, God. So, and here's what it means. Your reputation is on the line. Yep. You are so vested in me getting to where I need to go for your name's sake. Yep. I was telling my kids just the other day. New rule. I do not want you accepting other kids' food at school. I was much more colorful in the way I explained this to them. 
Because when you start acting like hungry little mooches, it reflects badly on me. It makes me look like I can't take care of my kids, you know, with their raggedy selves and they're hungry, always mooching and asking for stuff. Don't make me look bad. And out of pride, I went to the grocery store and bought some more stuff so they could be well supplied, well taken care of. What, what this says, my namesake, God is saying, I am so committed to getting you to where you need to go next. If not for your sake, for mine, it makes me look bad if you're wandering all lost. Without purpose, uncertain, anxious, makes me look bad. So for my name's sake, I want to get you to where you are going. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to make your own way. You just have to discover it. And as a church, we've got to get better at saying, if that's true, it's not a mystery. I just need to say, God, I want to go where you're leading me. Would you, by your spirit, make known your path? You already have scoped out the horizon. Where are you taking me? And for some of us, here's what I would dare you to do. Is ask people who are part of your flock, people who know you, to maybe speak into this a little bit. In fact, I'll come back to that in a second here, but you, you never have to wonder, and you never ought to wander. That's a different word. I know my accent can be confusing, but, but wonder and wander are two different words. Wandering is where you veer off the path, because listen, he's committed to getting me where I need to go, unless I just start to veer off, and uh, then I start to act like we have a problem, God. The problem is never going to be about God leading. It's always going to be about me following. And uh, if you're anything like me, then, you know, you've already projected your path, right? I mean, you already have a five-year plan. You already know what you want to be when you grow up. You've already decided where the greenest pastures for you are. You already know what's the most fulfilling thing to to you. And so, God, it would be helpful if you projected my path, if you played along with my plans. If you're anything like me, then you've already looked at the cover of someone else's magazine. You've already looked at somebody else's life, and you've decided, I want to be them. I want to go where they're going. And then you point your life in that general direction, and that becomes your path. And before you know it, we start to feel doubt about the goodness of God as a shepherd who leads us. We start to feel disappointed about where we're going because apparently God is not good at taking us to where other people ought to be. But he's brilliant at taking us to where we need to be. And so I often wander off the path in the direction of what seems most appealing, into my ideas and my dreams, my borrowed dreams of what I believe is going to be most fulfilling. That's not what David is saying. David is saying, hey, God knows where the greenest pastures for you are, and he's committed to leading you there. Follow him. Abandon your idea of your own plan and your own purpose and what your parents said and what's on every cover of every magazine. Ask the question, good shepherd, where are you taking me for your name's sake? Goodness sakes, we make God look so bad. Look at all of them. Where are they? They're just all scattered, you know, the cover of this magazine and this person's Twitter account. But the invitation is to follow. 
I'm not married by 22. God is a terrible shepherd. No, he just may be leading you somewhere differently. But that wasn't my plan. I plan to be, to, to be a millionaire by 40. That's not happened. Listen, I, I plan to be a, a brain surgeon by 30. None of that is, is happening. I wanted to be a pastor. Okay, maybe no one says that, but you know what it could be? Somebody might. You don't know. Don't, you don't know. It's cool. It's cool. I hoped to be a business owner by now. It's not working out. Again, if you don't have it, maybe you don't need it. And if you don't have it, it's be- you don't need it because it's not part of where God is taking you. Let those things maybe be hints that redirect us. And then we get frustrated because the right path that God is leading us in feels so wrong when compared to our Dreams. David is saying God always leads us to places of flourishing. You can never improve on his plan by wandering off. And again, ask the people around you. You've known me for years. And if you give them permission, I think you might be surprised what people who love you will tell you. Yeah, I'm sorry, but we've been supportive of this crazy dream, but it's just you are pushing a boulder up a rugged hill. And it's probably time for you to stop. I mean, you've been chasing this crazy, and can we just be honest? Now, again, sometimes people squelch the dreams God is is stirring in you. That's why you want to be careful who you ask. People who love you may be honest with you, because what we want to do, church, is discover where is he leading so we can follow him to places of thriving, to places of deeper life. And for some of us, we wander off, and the reason we wander off is because it gets painful. And I'm not going to say much about this. We've talked about this in previous weeks. But do not ever read pain and discomfort as a sign that you are not moving in the right direction. And we'll see that here in a second. Sometimes the journey for the sheep and for the shepherd was painful. But painful didn't necessarily mean the wrong path. The third thing David says is, God is my protector. The thing that brings unshakable confidence is that God is David's protector. He's committed to keeping him from harm and harm from him. David believes God is standing between me and my downfall. He will not let anything undo me. I cannot even begin to imagine what our lives would look like if we believed that. God is our protector. Look at verse 4. David says, whatever is really what this means. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you, God, my protector, are with me. Your rod and your staff They comfort me. One of the key roles of the shepherd in in David's day, as much as it seems obvious, was the role of protector. He had to keep his sheep alive if they were going to be of any use to him. And so as such, um, a good shepherd was constantly scanning the perimeter, was constantly scoping the area, anticipating. By the way, anticipating is a great word to think of when you think of shepherd. This is why, by the way, we use pro words. Pro words. Because pro means I'm anticipating ahead of time. That's what God does. 
provides. He anticipates your needs ahead. You don't even know what you need three weeks from now. He already has a pasture stashed, ready for that. Pro, pro, pro. But one of the roles of the shepherd was to anticipate where danger might come from. And he became really good at that. And in that region... Um, in the summer, the riverbeds at the bottom of the mountains would dry up, and they just became nasty places to be. The, the air was hot and thick, and, you know, the heat would rise and just engulf you. And because of the way it was laid out, the mountains would obviously shut out the light of the sun, making it virtually impossible for you to see and navigate in that area, which made it a perfect spot for would-be predators to pounce and attack the vulnerable sheep because they were hemmed in. It was hard to get out of that spot. And in that context, the only thing standing between the sheep and its demise was the shepherd. The question now became, how good a protector is this shepherd? Because he's the only thing keeping the sheep from certain demise. That's the picture that David is painting. And so you would see uh, a shepherd in that context carrying, a, you know, this heavy bow peep multi-purpose, you know, rod to, to whack any, you know, threats that would come. And the statement the shepherd would be making with that rod or that staff was if you are going to get to these sheep, you're going to have to get through me. David believed that about his God as his protector. Whatever threat comes, whatever darkness falls, it has to get through God to get to me. The scepter of the universe is in his hand. If something wants to do damage or harm to me, it has to somehow get past him. Good luck with the star speaker. Good luck with a sea splitter. But that was what David rested in. And I fear the church has lost the courage that comes with believing God considers our protection his responsibility. Because once again, it looks bad if enemies are just coming in and unraveling his church. But I think we've lost a sense of the courage that comes from believing that. And we've become fearful. We've become so risk-averse. We've become so self-protective. David makes this defiant proclamation. Who am I going to be afraid of? What reason do I have to live a fearful, timid life if God is my Shepherd, why would I be shaken by every news headline? And yet we tend to be. Why would I live conservatively in the things of God? And yet we tend to. Why would I live on the defensive, protecting myself? Now, David isn't saying there's no threat. He's saying I don't have to be thrown 
by it. I'm not going to get to the end of my life and look back and have a list of things I would have done if I wasn't so afraid. So he says, I will not fear. God is my protector. He is with me. The political climate can't get to me without going through him. So I'm going to live courageously. The economic volatility of our times. It can't unravel my life without getting through him first. So I'm going to be more generous. My reputation and my rejection from the people whose approval I would really enjoy, that's God's responsibility. So I'm going to share hope all the more. The church is timid. We're fearful what people might do with me, what they might say about me behind my back. And David is, why would I be afraid of that? That's God's responsibility to take care of. Death is a possibility if I keep following the shepherd into that direction. But that's his responsibility. I'm going to live my life fully still and follow where I know he's calling me. Failure is likely, but I'm not going to be handicapped and paralyzed by the possibility I might fail. That's on God. I'm going to keep moving in the direction in which he is calling me. I'm going to take more risks. I'm going to do greater things for his name's sake. I will not fear. I wonder what you might wish you would have done for God when you look back on your life, except you were afraid. And by the way, that's oftentimes a good revealer of the places God might be calling us to. It's like, now this is safer. It's more comfortable. Nest egg is good. You know, our kids are safe. But, because we like to say if money was no object, what if fear was no object? What would you do? What would you do for God? What should you have done by now except for fear? And by the way, let me say this really quickly. At times, we will follow God and predators will get to us. This is not a promise of a life of ease. It is an assurance that if anything gets to me, though, it has to go through him. Which means if something difficult gets to me and my life seems like it's under attack, I've got to assume the shepherd has decided this thing is intended to help me get to wherever I'm going. And sometimes pain does that. And here's another reality. Sometimes my life is going to end. And God would be like, okay, I'm going to let something in so I can bring you home. But the point is nothing should cause me fear. Because if it gets through his hand and it gets to me, it is for my good. Romans 8, verse 28. And then look at verse 5. It says, this is a summary. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So powerful. He's just summarizing everything he just said. The idea of a table set in the presence of his enemies. In that culture, if I invite you to my house and I set a meal before you, I am saying to you that your well-being is my responsibility. Your protection is my responsibility responsibility. Whatever happens to you under my watch is my responsibility. David is saying, I sit at his table. In fact, my enemies can see it. 
He's just reiterating, God is my protector. My well-being is on him. And then he speaks of oil, favor, and God's rich goodness that pours into my soul, but my soul's too small to contain it, and so it overflows. It's a picture of abundance because God is my provider. And I love at the end, he says, goodness and love will chase me all the days of my life. A powerful picture of God is my shepherd. He leads me. He goes before me. He provides what I need, and, and he protects me, and he pursues me with his love. David is saying, I am entirely surrounded by everything God and everything good. Of course I'm going to live with confidence. Of course I'm going to live with courage. Of course I'm going to live with comfort. Of course I'm not going to find in any season any reason not to thrive and to move forward. God is my shepherd and he's leading me. To beautiful places. Um, as uh, you know, we've learned God is not only the shepherd to us as individuals, but he is a shepherd who leads us as a flock, as a church. And man, that has been our story for five years now. Uh, in January, we celebrated five years um, as a church, and he has provided for us. When the bank account was depleted, and we had no idea, uh, you know, what the next week would look like, and we had to take pay cuts, he was our provider even then. And he's protected us from our own youthful foolishness, from doubt, from we can't do this. Um, He's protected us from people who have leveled assaults at mission point that are inaccurate in order to cut the legs from under us. He's been our protector and he's proven to be um, our shepherd. He's been our projector, constantly showing us his purpose and his plan and his direction, where he's leading us and what he wants us to emphasize. And as many of you know, our shepherd is leading us um, once again, and we couldn't be more thrilled. In fact, um, many, if not most of you, should have received an email from us um, on Friday in which we were just sharing some exciting news that the shepherd is... uh, projecting the path that he wants us to move in next. And so some exciting things are happening in Mission Point's future um, that we are so excited to share with you. Now, in case you didn't see it, I'm going to play a clip of this video um, so y'all can celebrate with us what the Lord is doing next. Can you guys roll this? And this, look at that screen, because that screen is like really, really dark. But anyway, do you want to roll, um, roll this video? Check this out. So we do have a big announcement, a bit of a, a big reveal that we're excited about. Uh, but before we get there, um, I want to back up and just talk a little bit about the track that, that we as a leadership team and our elders have been going down in terms of just sensing what God has for us in the future. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have asked us, why haven't you guys moved into a permanent facility? And part of the reason for that is we had a dream of a 24-7 community center. Mm-hmm. Um, a place that would be a blessing to our city, a place that could be used seven days a week, not just on weekends, to bring relief, to bring hope, uh, to be an encouragement to our city. And so we've been prayerfully considering what steps the Lord might want us to take towards moving into a facility like that. And it's actually as we were pursuing that, that the Lord interrupted us and said, hang on, I have something for you guys in the meantime. 
Yeah, it really has felt like, you know, as, as we look towards that 24-7 center vision, that that may be a couple years away, yeah. but yet sitting at Lakeland, we're looking at a place, a facility that we are just truly outgrowing. Um, so we've hit this critical intersection sure. of what do we do from here to there? Yeah, and it, you know, if you've been at Mission Point at Lakeland, then you've seen a peak Sundays, we can't find enough chairs anywhere in the building uh, to facilitate the folks who are showing up. And our kids' wing is bursting at the seams. It was just a couple of weeks ago that they had a record attendance inching towards 200 kids. And so we've outgrown our facility, but we're not ready for this 24-7 center. And it's in the middle of that that the Lord revealed where he wanted us to be next. In fact, we are sitting there right now. Welcome to the pack, as they lovingly yes. call it around here. This is the Performing Arts Center uh, at Warsaw Community High School. Uh, we could not be more excited yeah. that they have rolled out the red yes. carpet to us and have invited Mission Point to use this facility uh, as our new home. So exciting. So Mission Point is moving. Um, this is our new home. We're sitting in this spot. and. You know, uh, Lakeland Christian Academy has been so good to us, um, but even one of the small differences, Lakeland Christian Academy could seat about 400 people. Uh, we're sitting in an auditorium that has capacity for 900 plus people, 600 down on the first level and about 300 up above, which gives us room to grow. It gives us room to reach the 50,000 people in this county that we believe the Lord is calling us to reach. So we're excited about where the Lord has us and where he's taking us next. So welcome to your new home mission point here on the campus of Warsaw Community High School. Woo! Yes! Man! Yes, yes, yes. Um, we are so excited. And uh, let me just say, first of all, uh, the Lord provides. Because the cushiness of the chairs in that facility, I'm telling you, you're welcome. Um, but listen, we have no idea uh, what some of the answers to some of the questions will be. We're anxious. We're, we're unsure about certain things. But what we know is this is the, the Lord's clear next step for us to follow in. And uh, we're so excited to take this step. And let me just say really quickly, I cannot overemphasize how thankful I am to be part of a leadership staff and an elder team who is willing to take unconventional steps and do unconventional things and veer off the beaten path in order to follow the lit path when the Lord leads. And um, he's leading, and we are so, 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 so excited. So, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be answering a number of very practical questions, you know, the whens and the hows. And in fact, if you open that video, if it's in your spam somewhere, get it out of there because we have a longer version of that video that answers some of the immediate practical questions. But man, it is end of summer, beginning of fall. We are moving homes, which for me means I'm all of a sudden going to have to commute to work because it's like on the other side um, of town. But we are so excited about what green pastures the Lord has for us. We realize there'll be challenges, there'll be opposition, but he is our shepherd. He is projecting, he is protecting, he is providing for us. And we couldn't be more excited. So 
please do us a, a, a couple of favors. Number one, if you are on social media and you don't follow us, why? I don't understand. You're wasting your social media. Follow us on um, Facebook. We are constantly updating and telling you what's going on in that way. More importantly, if you haven't signed up for the table, please do that. That's the way we communicate news and updates and share the different things that we have with each other. It's the ways we alert you to how you can pray for us. Remedy those things today. Most importantly, please pray. Pray that you as an individual will be a person who's willing to follow God courageously with great confidence because he is your shepherd, regardless of where he's leading you. And pray for us as a church that we will not shirk away from difficulty, that we will not veer from the path he's calling us to, that we will continue to charge um, in the direction the Lord is calling us. Pray, pray, pray. And we look forward to sharing so much more of what's going on in the next season of Mission Points Life. And I'm telling you, two months ago, three months ago, I would have been standing up here having no idea that God had this provision for us. And he is so awesome like that. So feel free to spread the word. We're excited. Um, and we just look forward to have you be a part of what the Lord is doing here at Mission Point. Let me pray, and then um, we'll let you go. Lord, thank you so much that you are our shepherd. Thank you that you lead us. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you are committed to providing what we need, to leading us where you want us to go, and to protecting us. And Lord, help that to stir in us a great confidence, a great comfort, a great courage, We want to follow you. We want to live for you. Help us, Lord, not to be held back by fear, but in faith to press forward into everything that you have. So we praise you for who you are. We thank you for the way you're leading us, and um, we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.